0: I'm Arthur Snell. A major war is taking place on the European continent with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, bringing you a series of special episodes to help you understand the crisis as it unfolds. This is Doomsday Watch. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Doomsday Watch. I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Romeo Kokriatsky, our favorite Ukraine correspondent and host of the Ukraine Without the Hype podcast. Romeo, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So, Romeo, we're speaking. It's Sunday night on the 11th of September, perhaps a portentous date. Um, And in the last 48 hours, uh, the Ukrainian military has undertaken a stunning operation. First off, what's your best understanding of where we're at right now here on Sunday night?
1: Um, as far as we can tell, and uh, I want to make it clear that official confirmation on a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in reports and on social media has not been um, provided. So a lot of this is kind of gleaning together a situation from videos of soldiers celebrating in cities and so on. Um, but as best as we can tell, uh, it seems that nearly all of Kharkiv Oblast, uh, one of Ukraine's northern provinces, has basically been cleared. This is a gain of about 3,000 square kilometers in more or less 11 days. Amazing.
0: And Kharkiv, tell us about the significance of that city within your country.
1: I mean, Kharkiv is, or was, pre-war, the second largest city in the country. It was a major hub um, being situated... Pretty much forty kilometers from the Russian border, so a major trade hub, a major cultural hub, and it represented one of Ukraine's kind of hearts or centers. If you you know consider Lviv in the west, Kyiv in the center, and then you have Kharkiv um, in the northeast. So it was a it was and still is, I guess, an incredibly important city um, for Ukraine. And notably, uh, the city did not. Uh, suffer from any kind of pro-Russian tensions or sentiments, um, even during the initial Russian invasion in 2014.
0: And simply because of its location, it was one of the first cities to be taken by Russia at the start of this war in February.
1: Well, it wasn't taken exactly, but parts of the surrounding obelisk, uh, the surrounding province, were captured and held. Again, it's 40 kilometers from the Russian border. The Russians don't even need to move troops into Kharkiv Oblast itself in order to shell Kharkiv. And Kharkiv has been under constant missile and artillery barrage basically for six months straight. Um, And major parts of the city itself um, have pretty much been reduced to rubble.
0: So, Romeo, I just want to zoom out slightly because things have been happening so quickly. But for the last... Probably two or three months. There's been a sense that the uh, the Russia's war on Ukraine has kind of slipped into a sort of stalemate, a static frontier, small advances backwards and forwards. Lots of talk about how this would drag on for years, but there was also talk, and, and, and you know, this was ongoing, although little detail. There was talk that Ukraine was planning its big operation to try to regain key bits of territory. So it seems that that has now happened. So I suppose the first thing is, of course, you know, these are sensitive military questions. I'm not expecting you to give us answers in that way. But what's your sense of how far this might go?
1: It's due to a kind of media blackout that the um, Ukrainian military has enforced. For the past few weeks, it's really hard to tell what the future plans of the armed forces are. And obviously, um speculating on them can be a little uh can be a little fraught uh but it does seem like the operation in the south of the country the liberation of Kherson oblast which has also been uh occupied this time fully by the russians since the beginning of the full scale invasion that operation seems to keep on trucking it doesn't seem like there have been any major successes or failures on that front and of course the scale of the Russian retreat, I have to imagine, has been a little bit of a surprise to Ukrainian army command as well. I don't think uh, even we expected the Russians to kind of fold as easily as it did. So what comes next is, is, I think, a question for the generals.
0: Yeah. Now let's talk about that Russian retreat. Most people, most listeners probably have seen some of the imagery uh, but for those that haven't, what, can you sort of give us a characterization of what seems like a headlong rush for the exit by the Russian army?
1: I mean, it's, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware, less a retreat or withdrawal. And it seems to be, in in a lot of places at least, um, a, a full-on route. They've left so much equipment. I think there was someone... That quoted saying the amount of materiel that the Ukrainian army today was able to capture uh, was more than the entirety of German military aid to Ukraine um, for the past six months. Just the scale of the amount of stuff that they left behind is hard to believe uh, as part of any kind of irrational decision making on the Russian part. It really seems like they, in the most basic terms, broke and ran. And... What is the atmosphere like now? How, how are normal Ukrainians responding to these incredible developments? I mean, I mentioned to a colleague um, that it seems to me that <laughs> these are some of the golden days of the war. And uh, he was absolutely ecstatic. I was in um, the office for a couple of days last week. And especially on, I want to say it was Friday afternoon the security guy came around pretty much every desk and handed us all a beer (laughs) so the mood as you can imagine is quite celebratory everyone's quite pleased with uh how things are unfolding i mean ukrainians have been waiting for a major victory like this a major liberation um like this for months really you mentioned um the conflict seeming to to uh lose momentum and this was visible within ukraine as well of course everyone is aware of how long wars can last so there's no undue hope that this is going to be a a quick conflict but that is exactly what has let ukrainians kind of celebrate this much that we were this successful in, in liberating our territory
0: the wider context here obviously we look across to moscow uh and you know, there's various ridiculous statements have come out from the Russians talking about regrouping, which, you know, is one way to describe a route. Um, but of course, the, the, there's a sort of deeper question, which is, what do you have to do to the Russians to make them realize that they can't control Ukraine? So wh- what's your what's your feeling? Well, about- that's been a
1: question Ukrainians have been struggling for for centuries. <laughs> yeah,
0: indeed, right. <laughs> So, so you're probably not going to answer it this week, but do you think, um, do you think you've got any more, any more sort of clarity on that given this, the, these
1: really stunning developments? It's hard to say how much of this, I mean, obviously a military defeat on this scale, by all accounts, Russian defense lines collapsed at first contact with our forces, um, and it just goes to show that morale is uh, incredibly important. And Ukrainian intelligence has been um, saying pretty much constantly that Russian morale was going down this whole time since since the start. The Russians don't have the logistical capabilities. They don't have the command capabilities. But this was something that uh, Russian leadership, well, specifically their their dictator, Vladimir Putin, um, who is said to be micromanaging the war. Uh, he's a security official. He is not a military guy. So that may explain part of the, the massive military failures. Um, but at the same time, because he's not a military guy, it's hard to really say what will go through his thick skull. It's not like the Kremlin has um, decided to offer its surrender to Kiev just yet. So however much it's going to take to get the Russians to leave us alone, it seems it's going to be this plus a little more. And of course,
0: there are already Russian reactions. If I'm not mistaken, there's been targeting of civilian targets, I think, in Kharkiv and and one other uh, city. In Dnipro as well. Right, in Dnipro. Thank you. Um, And, you know, tragically, of course, that, that is one way in which Russia can uh, attempt, probably unsuccessfully, but attempt to try to intimidate the Ukrainian population not to get too too high on their own success, I guess. And
1: they've been doing this exact thing since february twenty fourth. They'd constantly shell um completely civilian areas with no military targets anywhere in sight. They'd consistently throw missile attacks at cities. Um, Vinyasa itself suffered from a massive Missile attack on the center of the city In the middle of the week during the day Killing dozens of people And it, it doesn't Seem like they are reconsidering That tactic despite the fact That it has really only Emboldened us to keep resisting Because why would we just Surrender to the guy who is Obviously happy to murder us on a whim
0: If you're finding these war bulletins useful, you can support us by backing us on the crowdfunding app, Patreon. You'll get the shows early, ad-free and get exclusive merchandise, all from just three pounds a month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the links in the show notes. So, Romeo, what do you think are the sort of key elements in the success of uh, Ukraine's counterattack? Obviously, there has been, you know, an increase in certain types of weapons, the famous HIMARS rocket systems and so on. Um, What do you consider to be the sort of the factors that have led up to this?
1: I mean, I'm not a military expert, so I may be completely off the ball here, but from My civilian perspective, I should say. I think this is all down to timing. Uh, After the uh, Ukrainian military announced the massive counteroperation in the south, Russian forces began to be redeployed from the Kharkiv front especially, and as well as parts of the Donbass fronts, um, down to Crimea and to Kherson. This is a lot of men and a lot of material moving. They can't teleport instantly hundreds of kilometers Uh, to the south. So it seems that uh, the Ukrainian military command took great advantage of this kind of momentary gap or momentary pause um, and struck. And it seems to have paid off quite well. Yeah.
0: So in some sense, it's a classic sort of diversionary uh, tactic.
1: In in some ways, yes. Though I do want to um, also say that That doesn't mean that the counteroffensive in the South was a feint as well. All the elements for a counteroffensive in the South are ready. All of the bridges connecting Kherson Oblast um, to Russian-controlled or Russian-occupied territory are destroyed. They can no longer um, resupply or provide reinforcements. I think Russian um, fighting capability has simply been degraded over the past six months, to such an extent that they can no longer fight on two fronts um, simultaneously, and especially if they have a, a non-military person like Putin personally micromanaging, granted this is a rumor, but one, uh, I think, holds out given the the kind of strange tactical and strategic choices that Russia's made over the past six months. I think it's fair to say that the, the Russian military simply can't keep up with what a modern um, equipped and trained, almost NATO or possibly already there, NATO equivalent force can dish out.
0: Yeah, and I, I would also expect. I mean, this is, I'm this is speculation on my part, but the the information that Putin receives is probably a long way from what is actually happening on the ground because you uh, would be a brave person who was able to tell him, uh, you know, well, Mr. President, uh, actually, your forces don't have the weapons they need because we sold them corruptly. And uh you know that the tanks aren't working because we've we've been using cheap spare parts and and all the rest of the the accretion of factors over years of of a sort of corrupt klepto state, which has now led to this 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 moment here,
1: yeah, interestingly enough, um Russian military bloggers, which is kind of a um clique of armchair generals in uh Russia that run very popular telegram channels and that usually report news and uh, information from the front. Obviously, they're full of propaganda as well. Um, But uh, over the past 11 days, there seems to be a little bit of a stabbed in the back myth forming there that they uh, fail to hold on to Kharkiv because the army and the generals are all incompetent. A few have been brave enough (laughs) to accuse uh, the Tsar himself, to accuse Putin himself, of um incompetence though most have been focusing on kind of the failures um and underinvestment in the russian military for the past thirty years which i mean props to them for realizing the problem I don't know why that wasn't obvious to them before um but it seems that at least some of these guys have had a little bit of an unpleasant contact with reality. Yeah. I suppose then um you know
0: this leads to a lot of things that that may or may not happen in Russia itself. Of course, you know the the stab in the back uh, concept, Dolchstoßlegende in German, was this sort of driving uh, resentment uh, in in the kind of birth of of German Nazism. The idea that they had been. They had been failed in World War One by cosmopolitans and Jews and so on. Now that it, it's like any analogy, it doesn't map simply onto the Russian analogy. But there were rumours just a couple of days ago of the sort of possibility of a coup in Moscow. Um, I'm I'm not expecting you to to know uh, if there's about to be a coup in Moscow. Although if you do know, please tell us. But what what's your sort of feeling as <laughs> as someone who you know you've spent a lot of time probably trying to figure out what the Russians are up to uh, for your own safety and sanity. Do you, do you think that these same military types who who look at the, the failure and humiliation of what's supposed to be a great
1: imperial power might think, well, we, we need a different leader now? I'm sure, like, there's no way that thought has not crossed anyone's mind. However, um, the system that Putin has built has been almost entirely focused on making his position in the Russian hierarchy coup-proof. Um, there's no independent media, there is no independent opposition, there's no independent anything. Because the economy in real terms is kind of simplistic, Putin can and has centralized uh, pretty much all of it in his own physical person. Um, This means that any unrest in Russia is liable to hurt the entire elite and not a section. And it doesn't seem like there is room for a portion of the Russian elite to carve out um, even enough of an independent power base to disagree with Putin politely to his face. Um, That that doesn't seem allowed. So I I really don't see how this could. But at the same time, historically, there have been plenty of strongmen who uh, suddenly and unexpectedly passed away either in their sleep or violently and history moved on though again that doesn't seem like a likely scenario now on that last point
0: one thing from from the sort of military analyst i've been reading uh it, it doesn't look very likely that russia is going to have the resources to make a sort of counter counter offensive it's sort of excuse the the unwieldy term that then presents Russia with a really tough issue which is that they set their prestige and and ultimately having having failed to take Kiev they kind of their rewritten objective for this war was was to take uh, and hold the donbass now of course they, they haven't they still hold parts of the donbass but they, they are certainly not holding all of it and and that doesn't look like they'll be able to so is is there do you think there's a place for russia to come to a negotiating table or is is this still ukraine needs to drive russia off every
1: square foot of ukraine i mean that is what every ukrainian um feels that we need to get the invaders off our land and then we can sit down and talk about how much money they owe us for all the shit they broke yeah um to 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 say it impolitely yeah uh until that moment happens negotiations are a joke Uh, Even if the Russians were willing right now to negotiate, nothing they could say would mean anything. They have signed plenty of treaties. They have made plenty of promises, all to turn around and break them half the time, almost immediately. So they have zero credibility. Uh, And the only kind of assurance you can get from the Kremlin negotiating fairly is when they are physically unable to prevent you from enforcing your terms. Until that moment, there's not even a, a question of negotiation.
0: Yeah. And it's it's completely uh understandable given you know the events we could go back in deep history, but even just of 2014 and then Minsk and then you know what the Russians did this year, clearly, that that it would be a foolish person who trusts a Russian assurance. Um a harder question perhaps and 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 one I hope you don't mind me asking is whether there's a place for Ukraine to find a way to avoid the risk of sort of creating a scenario akin to what happened to Germany at the end of World War 1 in the end the, the, the idea that if you humiliate a powerful country it might come back and do it again but worse
1: to be honest that's a um that's a Concern, I think, that a lot of Ukrainians are struggling with um, right now. And there's a lot of different points of view here. Me personally, um, I believe that uh, Europe's last empire, or last land empire, I should say, um, probably needs uh, some rapid decolonization. Um, that is, I personally don't believe Ukrainian Ukraine as a sovereign state is ever safe uh, with a neighbor like Russia. Uh, of course, other people think that it can simply be tamed or otherwise persuaded to leave us alone. Um, as I said, there's there's a lot of different schools of thought here, and it's hard to say what position has more validity. But the simple fact remains that if Russia is allowed to get off without any serious, um, or I should say more serious, uh... I don't want to say punishments um let's say negative incentives uh then it will keep doing what it has been doing to Ukraine for centuries uh that is quite simply how the Russian state has functioned um for the entirety of its history so something will have to be done to ensure that that centuries long pattern of domination exploitation and imperial expansion is finally halted uh, and until that happens, I, I don't think Ukraine can be safe.
0: My final question. Um, I really just wanted your kind of personal reflections. You know, lots of us have seen incredibly moving videos of of soldiers liberating uh, your fellow countrymen from what must have been a terrifying occupation. How does it feel for you personally to watch those?
1: I mean, I'm um, not ashamed to admit that I've uh, teared up quite a few times watching these videos. Uh, It's probably why most of the country has been in a really good mood um, for the past few days, because seeing these people be basically rescued um, from a lawless hellhole is it's it's hard to overstate how proud that makes someone feel Um, and how relieved because these these people aren't like strangers. Um, I might not know them they might live on the other side of the country but they are still my countrymen um I would happily travel I've I, I've been happily traveling all around Ukraine um and I can easily imagine any of these people being my friend or my neighbor uh, or my family so watching them run you know to these soldiers clutching like flowers or or just crying is it's it's incredibly uplifting.
0: Well, we haven't always had something so uplifting to kind of finish one of these conversations on. So Romeo, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us at short notice late at night where you are. Of course, I don't want anyone listening to think that we're telling them the war is over. But this is a important and positive development. And so uh, you this comes with very good wishes from from all of us listening here in the UK. Thank you very
1: much. And Uh, Let's hope this string of success continues.
0: We hope you find these war bulletins valuable amongst the huge amount of information out there. So don't forget to subscribe and help spread the word by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other app that has ratings. And if you really like the show, you can support us on the crowdfunding app, Patreon. You'll get the shows early, ad-free, and help shape future episodes, all from as little as £3 per month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.